0: For half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50.
1: Welcome to WJPZ at fifty. I am John Jagay. You'll have to forgive my voice a little bit because we're recording this the Tuesday after the banquet, and it is only appropriate that we have a member of the biggest class in our history, the class of nineteen ninety five today. That is Mike Connor. He is a senior coordinating producer at NFL Network. Mike, welcome to the show. John, thanks so much for having me, and to all of the listeners out there. I think this has
2: to be the final episode. If you've gotten to me, this has to be the last episode of JPZ at fifty. But Thank you
1: so much I'm, I'm <laughs> for the invitation. We have more to come after you. We're just getting started here. So what's cool is you and I connected on Facebook, I think, because of the podcast. Do I have that right?
2: Absolutely. I, I started listening at the very first one with Rick
1: Wright uh,
2: and just hearing his history. And I wouldn't say I have listened to all of them, but definitely more than a majority. Obviously, so many people who I've crossed paths with over the years, but plenty of people who I didn't know before just loved hearing their stories and their experiences at jpz and then their life stories afterwards you know father dave was you know really
1: moved me to tears with joy i listened to his a couple weeks ago and it was wonderful to induct him into the hall of fame this past weekend as we record this and great for me to know his story too as the essentially the first morning show host in the station moved to fm so you talk about origin stories let's get to yours where you're from how'd you find syracuse and how'd you find the radio station i'm originally from connecticut mm-hmm. i remember
2: This had to have been in the mid to late 80s. I was watching an NBA, I guess, finals series. And during halftime, they sort of feature on Newhouse. And at that point, that just caught my attention. That was what I wanted to do. I really wanted to be in baseball production. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what kind of got my interest of going to Syracuse, going to Newhouse. And then once I got on campus, it took me a little while to get involved in JPZ, probably early on in my sophomore year. But I mean I not only am I from a legendary class of 95, I was on a legendary floor <laughs> freshman year of college, day eight. I was on the same floor as Chris Villardi, who obviously has a tremendous influence in, in JPZ and now to all of us at Syracuse, uh, Brian Gowards, who we can maybe mention a little bit later, but he was also a member of the Crazy Morning crew for over a year. Their involvement, my overall interest in getting involved in something,
1: on campus, drew me to JPZ early on sophomore year. It's funny, uh, you grew up or got to Syracuse, you were literally under the transmitter, being in Day Hall, and Velarde now the faculty advisor for WJPZ. So it all comes full circle. Yes, it's remarkable. So once you got to the station, you said sophomore year, what did you do at the radio station, Mike? I got there, and as I mentioned, Brian was already on the Crazy Morning
2: Crew, a couple of my other friends, John Beck and Julian M. Keel. We're on the morning crew, and I just wanted to get involved with that. Unlike a couple of them, I really had to get my FCC license. Mm -hmm. Not all of them were controlling the board. So that was my initial thing is I got my FCC license, I think, in October of 92. I got overnight shifts. I remember doing an air check with Dion, and it's, you know, looking back, it's funny. It was probably a two to four shift, Mm -hmm. and I turned it into an all request hour just because I wanted to figure out how to use tape phone calls and turn them around quickly, which you'd have to do in the morning show. And I remember sitting down with Dion and him explaining to me that it kind of devalued an all request hour. If you do it also at two in the morning. Uh, so <laughs> Dion always teaching, right? Always teaching Dion Summers. His lessons still stick with me. Yeah. I did that for a couple months and then just got onto the morning show pretty quickly. So who is on the morning show with you? The person who I was did it mostly with was Ryan McNaughton, mm-hmm. who is, coming to his end now as alumni president. So he and I were the crazy morning crew along with Jay Palladino. Yep. And then we would do it, I think, three days a week. And the other two were Abe Froman, Steve <laughs> Donovan uh, who I'm sure doesn't have his voice anymore after this past weekend. And Mike
1: Murphy. Yep. A legendary called basketball announcer now at University of New Hampshire. Aside from your morning show cohorts, uh, and you mentioned Dion and Velarde, any other names that you came to mind that you formed some great relationships with there? I know you're the class of 95, so you could probably spend an hour rattling them all off because there's so many of you, but... I think of JPZ a little bit
2: like Saturday Night Live, where (laughs) no matter what time period you're part of, you think your group was the best, whether you like the Bill Murray years, (laughs) the Wolf Farrell years, uh, the Adam Sandler years. So obviously Dion was there, A.C. Corrales. Adam Love, you know, Diamond Dave, who at the time when I was a sophomore, he was a grown man as a senior, but had such a great presence. Yeah. Uh, B.B. Good, Goofy Betty, Carl Weiser, velardi Janice, Raff ran the sports department. Uh, while I was there, Jeff Rawson was uh, just starting off. He was my news guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Tassell, Rena Advani. I mean, it was a great list of folks. Uh, obviously, I'm still very, very close with the folks in the morning crew, whether it's Beck or Goertz or McNaughton, you know, Donovan and I chatted for a while, a couple months ago. It's just a great group of people.
1: What do you remember from your time at JPZ? And I'm going to get to your career in just a minute, Mike, but what are some of the things you learned either what to do, what not to do, whether it was professional stuff or interpersonal relationships, what stuff comes to mind from your time at the station? Boy, there was a lot of what not to do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: We had fun, you know, I wish I got more involved with the unit because we kept very much of a silo in a lot of regards of did the morning. So got there at, you know, 515, done at nine and then went on with the day. So I am looking back. I still have friends from the station, but which I got more involved outside of that. You know, I do have some great memories. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Blizzard of 93. So that was the year that Syracuse coming off a of spring break. Canceled classes because they had like 35 inches of snow <laughs> on that Sunday before spring break. So, so that Monday show, I remember hosting. So I drove back that Sunday night or that Sunday afternoon with Mularty, I believe, and with Gorts, and we all kind of drove up. And you know, we were on the air forever that Monday morning, and just talking and doing the morning show. And I, it's funny. I remember we did a segment, and Gorts and I were talking for so long. Uh, that the radio gods took over and the emergency alert system just went off in the middle of what must have been a 12-minute talk-up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of, you know, McNaughton and I and, and Paladino, Jay j We did a, a Halloween show once, and that was, you know, obviously it's radio, but we all got dressed up and we encouraged people to come by for candy. And for some reason, we didn't have the people come to the station. We went outside with the extension and the microphone. And it came to the point where traffic was backing up on Waverly and the campus police had to come by and tell us just to to stop. Stop giving out candy. (laughs) Stop stop encouraging people to line up. So, you know, it was fun. I remember Brian and I would call up the University of Miami radio station and make bets on the air and uh, for the Syracuse-Miami game in 93 or 94. And we lost the bet and and we had to sing their alma mater on the air, but we made up lyrics and they hung up on us because we were insulting them. <laughs> you
1: know. It was a good good college fun that we had. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So tell me about your career after Syracuse from where you were getting out and up to where you are now. I went to Syracuse to be
2: a baseball announcer. And we go into what was COM 107. I was a broadcast yep. journalism um, major. And I remember sitting there in the first class and everyone there knew everything about broadcasting and everyone (laughs) had an opinion and everyone was going to be the next Bob Costas. And it was just a matter of getting out of the way so you didn't slow them down. And at that moment, I realized that wasn't necessarily my DNA. So I, you know, went other routes, but I always wanted to work in baseball. And the summer before my senior year, I was offered to be the Yankees radio intern. Oh, wow summer of 94, but it was nights and it was in the Bronx or in Manhattan if they were on the road and I didn't have a car and it was just going to be a challenge to make it work. So I took a different internship at A Current Affair, which for those who don't remember, it was the original uh, tabloid TV show. I interned there five days a week that summer. I took that job because that was you know more of the nine to five type of hours. And I did that for uh, the whole summer. I went back over winter break and then come spring break, they offered me a job. Oh, wow. That they were going to hold for me till I graduated. That is rare in this business. It was, but I was willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. And they would take me up on it. So I, I was TMZ before there was TMZ. <laughs> I would sneak out, I would ambush people. It was, uh, it's funny to a degree to share the stories these days, but it's not always my finest moment. But I ambushed Whitney Houston and... Michael Jackson, uh, and a whole host of other people. Again, something that was fun at the time, but not necessarily uh, my favorite thing to do. And the show ended up, you know, winding down. So I decided to move to LA because all my Syracuse friends were out there trying to be TV writers. Yeah. And then I started Access Hollywood at the startup of Access Hollywood. Did that for two years. The hours were worse than any overnight shift I had at JPZ. What kind of hours? I would get up at 1.50 in the morning, be in at 3 a.m. and work till 2 p.m. Oh, Did that for two years. I just had to get off that. So eventually I made the shift back to sports that I always wanted to do and went to Fox Sports Net. Did that for a number of years. Launched NFL Network when that started in 03. Then MLB Network was starting up. They recruited me to come and be part of the managing editorial group for that and Launched that network in? Uh, it started January 1st of 09 and then came back to NFL in 2017 back in California. So I've, I've moved back and forth. This is my third time living in California. I've made the move five times back and forth. And wow. this is home for a while, but it's funny. I oversee events now primarily. So I just came back from the Skyline Combine. But a couple of weeks prior to that, I was at the Super Bowl and mm-hmm. I was on the field at the Super Bowl for the game. And one of my talent who I work with also calls games on the radio Charles and for CBS, but it wasn't the CBS Super Bowl, So Charles Davis was there and he introduced me to Ian Eagle. Mm-hmm. I had never met Ian before Then I know his son, Noah, a little bit. Uh, so my first comment to Ian was I used to listen to you at FAN when you do overnights and you would talk about this pizza place that you would go to by Anandawa community college. So my friends and I would go there. And, of course, the first time we went there, who did we see? Rick Reich. (laughs) And without taking a a pause, Ayn goes into, hey, major market. (laughs) And to me, that struck me as you could go to University of Mizzou, you could go to Columbia, you could go to Northwestern. There is no chance that any of their esteemed alums (laughs) can have a conversation with another alum. It all gets boiled down to one person, and that's what makes new house and jpz and just the whole syracuse experience so special is rick Wright, in that i love that is the thread through everybody
1: and by the way ian eagle uh keynoted our banquet during COVID in 2021 and it was fantastic the best piece of advice that ian eagle gave in that and i hope if he's listening to this i hope he doesn't mind me outing him the best piece of advice that I and eagle gave every student and alum on that zoom banquet that we did don't be an asshole that was his advice Words to live by. Yeah, absolutely. We can all learn from that.
0: It's WJPZ at 50.
1: Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ
0: relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50.
1: It's interesting, Mike, that you talk about, you know, walking into Commodore 7 and being like, okay, I'm I'm not gonna be competing with these guys. I mean, I had a similar experience, you know, I'm class of 02. At AER, okay, these guys have memorized all the stats of these games. I'm not, I'm probably not gonna be a sports guy. And then other classmates of mine were all about news and could watch a newscast and pick it apart. Oh, he looked at the wrong camera, she looked at the wrong camera. And for me, I just kind of fell into the, the radio and the top 40 side of things. I, I would imagine we have students and young alumni who are trying to figure out what they want to do, whether that's on air, off air. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you do that you're responsible for in your role as senior coordinating producer at NFL Network? And I know no two days are are like, but what your day typically looks like.
2: I'm going to take this in two different parts. I'll tell you a little bit what my day is like and what I do, but I oversee all of our 10 pole events, training camp, kickoff, the you know, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, combine. And I do all the planning, uh, working with the league, working with our producers, kind of setting up the North star, if you will, of what all mm-hmm. production is going to look like, manage our budget, and then, you know, have to cut where we need to cut and have to add where I want to add. But you always, you bring up a great question in regards to the people who are at the crossroads in their career. And I get this a lot because I'll I'll talk to soon to be graduates, recent graduates, and I'll always tell them: if you want to be on air, do it young. Don't wait till you're 27 Hmm. and worked in a different line and maybe have made forty thousand dollars a year. Because if you're going to end up in Montana at twelve thousand a year, you know, at the radio station, at the TV station, like it's a massive change. You don't know what you don't know at 22, at 23, lifestyle wise. And I would strongly suggest if that's something that's truly in your DNA, do it sooner than later. Don't wait to do it. Now, there are always those people who make the change over later in their career. Carissa Thompson at Fox used to be my HR person at Fox. No kidding. Now she's a massive host of Fox and, and Amazon. So, I mean, there's always those people who do make those changes. But for the most part, if you want to do it, do it while you're just getting out of
1: school. That is a fantastic piece of advice. So, you're overseeing, like you said, the 10 pole events Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Draft, Combine, that sort of stuff. What is your role during the regular season? Well, it's funny because those
2: events take up the whole season. So, okay. you know, I have my first Super Bowl Las Vegas meeting on May 4th for the upcoming Super Bowl and then next year, Super 58. Oh, yeah. It's a year round thing. So my busiest time of year is the summer. Huh. So once the season kicks off, September, October aren't as busy, but I've been on the road for six of the last seven weeks. I get to catch my breath a little bit now uh, before the next one comes up. But a training camp is wild. You know, preseason games, and but then it's all full steam ahead to, to Super Bowl. This year, I was part of the team to Part of the reimagined Pro Bowl games. I know there's, you know, people might have different opinions of how that played out, but I was part of the committee to kind of help redesign those. So,
1: as much as you can, as much as you're allowed to, can you take me inside that? Because as a football fan, I, I find that interesting that there was a lot of, uh, how do I put this delicately? There was a lot of challenges with the Pro Bowl in the previous setup. And so, what went into the process and the mindset to change it up? So, I'm going to pull some numbers out of the air, but I think they're
2: pretty close. If the Pro Bowl, Got 7 million viewers in years past, which is a huge number for an all star game. It's a huge number for an NBA finals game or an NHL finals game, but the players didn't enjoy playing it. The players weren't hitting there. You know, you can replicate a baseball all star game. And even if people are playing hard, it looks like a baseball game. And to a degree, same with the NBA. But in football, if the players aren't necessarily tackling, you get to the point where people could be at risk injury wise, yeah. right? Because it's not the type of game that they want. So they wanted to do something where players were invested. And there was definitely a heavy involvement of a small group of players helping guide us. It was like the Cam Jordan types. Things would get run by a small group and like, hey, if we did this, would you be interested? If we did that, would you be interested? Now, the numbers were pretty good this year. It was the first year. People didn't necessarily know what it was going to be. Some people might be turned off just by the whole skills aspect of it, but the players weren't. And we're a partnership with the PA and the players. And that was the motivation. You wanted the players to show up. You know, we didn't get that many players canceling outside the ones obviously who were in the Super Bowl, who couldn't attend. There were a handful of guys who didn't show up this year. But for the most part, you know, we got a very strong group of players to commit to play, which is different than in years past.
1: So it sounds like it was driven the the changes were driven more so by players than fans, because you wanted them to actually show up and not say, Yeah, I don't feel like going this year. And you want, you know. Yeah, people tuned in for it regardless of whether it was good
2: football or not. But it wasn't very good football that was taking right. place. It was a little bit embarrassing,
1: and we don't want people to get hurt by, you know, playing three quarter speed. You mentioned how you, you know, baseball is your passion growing up, but you come back to the NFL. The NFL is such a juggernaut, and it seems to be head and shoulders above all the other sports when it comes to revenue, when it comes to ratings and TV deals and all that. Was that part of the appeal in coming back over to the NFL? Was just how big the NFL is. There are a number of reasons. You know, the NFL is the gold standard
2: in American sports. Yeah. As much as we go back to talk about the connections that you made at JPZ, uh, the people I work with at NFL are like family to me. Mm-hmm. There are people who I hired at previous jobs when I was at Fox Sports Snatch. And then when I went to NFL in 03, 04, 05, 06, 07, brought them over and who are still there. People who I grew up in the business with, people who are truly our family to me. So that was the biggest drawback too. Being back in Los Angeles, being at a at a league that is truly state of the art, and being with coworkers who I know I could line up with, and we'd have each other's back, and we'd all be rowing together.
1: You told the Iron Eagle story earlier. Any uh, interesting stories you have of run-ins of players or working with players on various things? I know you talked about the Pro Bowl, but anything else in the course of your day-to-day? Any funny interactions you've had with players? It's a good one with football. Football players and baseball players are really different. Mm -hmm. If you have a baseball player, I'll take that story too.
2: Well, baseball is, is, the guys are more humble overall. And this is not to cast a, a large, you know, paintbrush, but football players have been noted as stars at a young age and have been treated as such for a while. And, you know, the way we work with our own analysts and whatnot is, you know, they're always used to a certain type of, you know, structure but also way of life. Baseball, they were the minors, they were the buses. Yeah. You know, even when they became stars, they've still gone through a little more of that, uh, I don't want to say humbling period, but something where they've, you know, haven't always been the most elite of the elite mm-hmm. because they could have been in a, in a town in single A and had terrible conditions that they played in. I worked with someone, Andrew Siliano, who was a Newhouse alum, and uh, I'm not sure if Andrew did JPZ. I know he was AER. Mm-hmm. But he was one of the, you know, he was one of the guys who always was focused on being a sports broadcaster and he's, he's followed his dream and, you know, has been at NFL for over a decade and was at the DirecTV Red Zone channel for a while as well.
1: Speaking of Red Zone, you got Scott Hansen, Syracuse grad too, right? Absolutely. And former football player. Yeah. At our Sunday brunch in Syracuse the other day, he's a uh, part of the Boost the Cuse program that's going to happen this year. So we saw, a promo, we saw an early promo for that, which will probably be long gone by the time you hear this podcast, but in this moment, <laughs> uh, it's upcoming. I always talk to people and it's, many of us have had success throughout our careers
2: and that's the easy part. But the thing about this industry is we're all guaranteed to have setbacks as well. Yeah. And I take a lot of pride in talking to people and being a rock for them when the chips are down. You know, I've lost my job before. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like people don't know how to treat you when you're without a job. It's almost like you're sick. Yeah, People stay away from you, not because they're afraid to get the illness, if you will, but because they don't know what to say to make you feel better and it's awkward for them. And I think that's exactly that's time for all of us to pick up the phone and reach out to somebody. Because when you take a step back in this, any of our industries, all you want to do is hear from somebody and not be, that's not have an outcast, but you just want to be accepted. You want to know everything's going to be okay. In newsflash, everything's going to be okay. We all have those fears. There's so many people go through uh, imposter syndrome Yes, mindset. But let me tell you, like I know people from JPZ, from other walks of life, who have a little bit of a setback at times, and they don't know what that next step is. But I can promise you, 10 times out of 10, your next opportunity is going to be better than your previous one. You're going to appreciate your job more. You're going to appreciate your lifestyle more, what you have. And I really feel like we can all be great mentors to each other to lend a hand to people when you hear like someone could be struggling or might need a friend. And I just would like to get that message out because I think it's, it's an important thing and it's, a, it's something which really can build a friendship and, and makes us stronger for each other.
1: You're reminding me of the podcast I did with your classmate, the aforementioned Abe Frohman slash Steve Donovan. I got got on with him expecting to laugh the entire time. And what I really respect about Steve is how vulnerable he was in our podcast. It was one of my favorite episodes of the podcast because he talked about losing his gig and having that weird feeling about going back to the banquet uh, without a gig and and having that self-consciousness, the imposter syndrome you just mentioned Mike and I mentioned to him, you know I clear Channel layoffs would always happen at Christmas time. so I would always be three months into a layoff whenever I'd go to the banquet. So and it's awkward to go and you're afraid to go. but and if anybody who was at the banquet this year can see what a just incredible incredible community it is that we're all there to lift each other up. we're all there to celebrate the triumphs and be proud of each other and we accomplish great things like so many of us have. But all of us have gotten, as Dr. Wright would say, the old zig. We've all been there. So we all offer to support each other in those times. I would encourage anybody that's listening to heed Mike's advice. If you're on the beach, as they say, or whatever other euphemism you want to use, if you are out of a gig, if you lose a gig, reach out to your JPZ people, because we've all been there, we all get it, and we all want to help each other out. It's something as I've gotten older and more experienced,
2: I feel like it's part of my job of, and of being a better person, and of just being there for people. I'll spend an hour and a half on the phone. And you mentioned, Steve, after his podcast, I reached out to him and talked to him. I just think it's so vital for us, you know, especially for the people from the class of 95 era or 2005. It's, you know, once you hit that age where it's like, okay, this is what I'm doing for a living. Yeah. And if that gets taken from you, now what are you doing for a living? It's important to have those people
1: there around you. I think that's a great place to leave it because that is a great descriptor of the JPZ family and how we all try to be there to help each other out. And, you know, you came on and made the joke off the top of you must be the last one if I've gotten down to you. But I think we all have that humbleness to us and appreciate each other and try to lift each other up when we need to. Anything else you want to talk about before I let you go, Mike, any other funny stories or anything? No, but I just had one idea. Yeah. This is a great thing of what
2: I do for work. I throw out ideas and challenge other people to do it. So it's uh, there was a documentary a number of years ago about The Greatest Media Classroom. There should be something about Rick Wright. There's so many people that he touched. Let's do it while he can enjoy it. There's so many people from so many different walks of life. And I think he's touched all of us. And it would be great to produce something to celebrate and to really showcase Dr. Wright. And, you know, we all have our own stories and we all have our own values of love for him. And I really think there's something there that we can all kind of rally around, maybe
1: not next year, but within the next couple of years, something we can debut maybe at a banquish. From your lips to everybody's major market ears. Thanks so much for your time today, Mike. Thank you so much.
0: The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed LaCombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, Class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.